0: Hello everybody and welcome to Kineo's Stream of Thought, a monthly podcast that features informal chat from the Kineo team about all things learning. My name is Andy Costello. I'm Kineo's new Head of Customer Solutions at Kineo and today we'll be speaking about the barriers to workplace learning and how as an industry we can start to break them down.
1: Today I'm joined by James Corey Wright, head of learning design. I'm Matthew Meller, learning consultant.
2: And I'm Jez Anderson. I'm head of consulting.
1: Welcome, chaps. Thank you very much for joining
0: us. Um, so, the Kineo Learning Insights report is now out, or phase one of a uh, three phased approach for our learning insight report is now out, available on uh, all good social media channels and our website, of course. One of the stats that that hit me, um, I thought was was quite staggering. Um, And out of nearly 8,000 people surveyed, apparently 85% of them currently struggle to access training in the workplace. Now, there must be an array of barriers to workplace learning there, but that's quite a lot of people that are having trouble improving their own performance, their own competencies, their own skills and knowledge, etc. I'm going to put that out there. Do you think that's uh, a fair representation of uh, the challenges people
1: face today? James, first of all. Um, well, I wonder what uh, they mean when they say that they're struggling to access it. I wonder whether that's, uh, you know, access it as in uh, there's an absence of it, so there's just a lack of training out there, or, it, or is it sort of, uh, it is there, but there are obstacles in the way, like it's difficult, you know, practical obstacles, like it's difficult to get hold of, difficult to sign up for, difficult to get permission for, uh, or is it that it's, uh, for example, you know, they're referring to digital learning which is there but the obstacles are things like logins Mm. which we you know we all (laughs) all know and love um and you know i I suppose the problem with a lot of these this research is that it there are more you know it throws up more questions Mm. than it gives answers
0: yeah i just think 85 percent is a vast amount it's huge
1: yeah um and it, it it makes you seriously wonder whether there's actually a kind of a bigger gap underneath that i was thinking um you know ahead of this it's like we don't come to work uh, to learn well we don't come to work for our health mm. and we don't come to work to learn um and maybe there's, there's some sort of something that in there as well is that you know not you could really ask okay people say they don't have access to learning but actually do they even want um access to learning in the first place and it does raise certain questions. Also, we, you know, we, we use the term learning. Mm. Well, as I just said, people don't come to work to learn. So, you know, are we are we even sort of using the right language yeah, around, around that, all this?
0: I think it's a good point. It's it, it's not a priority, is it? Is it even a consideration when people come to work? It's it's not right up there on their lists of things to do, um, and perhaps they don't even consider the barriers until that question is placed to them. So, Matt and Jess, both both learning consultants, you've both been working in the industry for some time. Um, in your experience, can you, do you agree with that kind of, that that stat that there's, you know, in your experience, do, do lots of people have barriers to learning or, or have challenges about their learning? And if so, what do you think
2: some of these might be? I think it's, I think, I think it's easy to, to, to put, the, put a stat like that together, because I think at the end of the day, people have expectations around learning and what they believe learning should be in the workplace, based on their experiences. So, if you're a group of learners that you know are used to being provided training courses, etc., then then the reality of it is is those you know if you're not provided with the training course, therefore you're not getting work, so uh, you're not getting training. So there's something there about how people's relationship and expectations around training needs to be adjusted, and sh- and shift. That's an interesting point. If you if
0: you're used to receiving training courses and then you're not given them. Um, there 's a barrier there, so does the does the responsibility therefore fall on the learner to find their new way of learning of accessing learning, or is that still do you think does that that responsibility lie with the the, the employer
2: I think it's both I think there 's something there around there's the changing nature of information and knowledge, and we all know and you know everybody every time you talk to somebody about how do you learn a new skill, most people will mention youtube and they 'll say well i, I were on YouTube and I learn how to wire a plug or I learn how to cut a tree down whatever it is is that there's an answer there digitally and we sort of do it naturally now I think it's about the transition between what people are doing naturally and what is what is supported and what people being see as being supported within the workplace and what role does the organization play in starting to change their the way they look at learning and supporting learning in the workplace and maybe shifting away from curriculum-based learning and content-based learning to something which is much more outcome focused and supporting people achieve outcomes
1: but it's uh, a it's it's also a cultural issue isn't it i mean in the sense that um, people have an expectation around learning or training that uh, that it's formal um and Mm. that's sort of still with us isn't it now and i don't think you know organizations necessarily have done much to kind of um um yeah that's right um So they've kind of might have taken stuff away, i.e. cut back on formal training, but haven't then sought to change the culture, um, you know, into a digital learning culture where basically people are encouraged to go out and sort of Mm. get the training that they need, uh, um, you know, themselves, and they haven't, I don't think organisations have also um, made that kind of... uh, all that material available mm. uh, easily available so it's sort of formal you know it was formal learning in the past there's less of it now but there's really not very much in its place and really that's very odd because it's completely at odds with the world around us and the world outside the workplace where there's never been so much stuff available yeah. and you do go on youtube but that's not being mirrored in the workplace. Every organisation needs their own internal YouTube, don't they? they, Google, they, they, yeah. they well, they do. Nice? Uh, they, actually, they do. Yeah, <laughs> mm. and and all that goes, um, all that wraps around YouTube too. Um, you know, you, sort of much greater use of um, uh, uh, co- collaborative software like like Microsoft Teams, for example. Mm. Uh, and you know, organisations do have Sharing. those things to, to share and to. Uh, collaborate and, and comment and and the data as well, so recommendations yeah. and, and likes and yeah. So in terms of uh, we you know I know the title of this uh, chat today was you know overcoming obstacles. Well, one of them I s- would suggest is to sort of turn to your c- whatever collaborative um, platform mm. you're using if in your business if you, if you have one, like Teams. Um, what are the other one's called? Well, you
0: mentioned there, James, earlier on that um, uh, th- there isn't this provision. And that's the barrier. There isn't a provision that, that is there to replace these more formal training courses. And we hear, don't we, now in the industry, there's all these phrases like learner-led learning, power to the learner, self-directed learning. I know they've been around for a while, but um, that taps directly into that. If they're not going to provide the, co- the course or the formal courseware, then, then you know, lead your own learning experience and on the job, share, find out what you need to do um, from perhaps an array of curated resources, whatever it may be. But then there's a responsibility of providing that,
1: that content if you're not going to allow people off-site to that isn't that that's the key thing it's it's laudable it's all very well to say sort of go and find it yourself and self-direct and blah 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 but if you the organization has also a responsibility you're right to to put a, a curator for example um in place mm. to 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 gather that stuff together to provide sort of some sort of guidance uh, um some sort of you know playlists and things like that through the content mm. uh, even even though it's um being sort of delivered um in a much more informal way Okay. I think that bit, I think that's the bit that's missing. So, you know, it's that cultural push.
3: I think there's uh, an interesting question as well about what people are actually looking for uh, from the workplace learning. So um, we know that people are moving careers more often these days um, and, and moving roles more often. So are people looking for content to make them better in their current role or are they looking for that next role, of that, that next career and actually looking to their workplaces to, to help them with that? Because that's not traditionally the sort of content and training that companies have provided so much of so that actually would present an interesting challenge to organizations if uh, if that's what their their audiences are looking for
0: yeah exactly the challenge there for an organization is you know what is the vested interest for them to uh, upskill people to move on from their roles into another role and, and potentially another organization that that surely goes against the instinct of, of maintaining your people.
1: Yeah, I made some uh, notes earlier uh, about this in, in terms of, you know, a lot of it's about semantics. And so we do people talk about, um, you know, I go back to that point about people don't really come to work to learn. Um, I also actually would question, you know, the term development, uh, which, you know, these are all terms that aren't very employee-orientated. Uh, if you swap out development and talk it to people in terms of their career, mm-hmm. that's a very different thing. Um, and that's much more in tune. I think I agree with you, Matt. That's what. And in fact, I think the research, uh, this research, has uh, some statistics that bear out that people are, ex, ex, you know, look to training um, to prepare them actually for the next job, or or at least a, you know, to progress within the organisation within which they work much more than than ever before. So that's that's another. If you, Again, if you talk about overcoming the barriers, then another way of overcoming it is to more overtly and explicitly link um, training materials to uh, career advancement and to make it more connected to an aspirational kind of um, attitude to learning.
0: So how do you convince an organisation to provide learning like that that, that could, could potentially encourage people to, or at least upskill people or sideways-skill people to move them away from the job that they're... Do <laughs> that's
2: a very good question Can I, just, I don't think it's necessarily all about careers you know, the, when we talk about workplace learning it's not focused just on, on careers because not everybody's career mo- motivated or you know, minded a lot of people just turn up at work to do the job to get paid and go home at the end of the day and they're quite comfortable with that and it's how do we and how do organisations support that as much as supporting careers so this is where, you know, this, it's, this, it's this notion that as learning and development, you know the best answers for everybody. The reality of it is, is for me, it's about freeing people up, enabling people to make the choices that they need to make about what's working for them as learners. So how do you create a learning system or a learning culture which supports that, which enables people to make those choices around what learning that they need when they need it? So Bursin talked last year about you know in 2020 will be the year of learning in the flow of work you know and and it's a great aspiration the reality of it is is are we culturally never mind technologically ready for what that actually means in terms of supporting individuals whatever their motivations are be it career be it just so i can do my job well enough to get paid and not get sacked you know that, that that that's the reality of it
1: but it's all locked up, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you let's say you do decide as an individual that you do want to uh train in something, it's locked up. It's in a, it's in a kind of um digital cupboard. Uh, you know, um you've got to sort of work out what it is you need, then you've got to kind of talk to your line manager or hmm. whatever. Then you then the line manager might say, Yeah, yeah, you know, I know about this, it's it's on the learning management system. Or, or whatever, what by, by which time, you know, the individual <coughs> has lost the will to live. Um, you, know, the, the real, you know, we've talked about the cult- cultural side of it. That's one thing. I think the other huge obstacle is the fact that everything's locked away, and then what is locked away is actually quite clunky, and be uh, back to this thing about formal, formal learning. Whereas really, you know, if you are to achieve what you've suggested, uh, Jez, in terms of you know, making provision for everybody... Um, and allowing them to sort of find, you know, choose things, you need to make the content that is available, available in every single sort of format, in every kind of which way, available on, genuinely, on all devices. So then maybe breaking down
2: barriers to, to workplace learning starts with L&D's practice and, and the shift away from ownership and control of learning and learning information to much more about, as we talk about it when we think about ecosystems, much more thinking about the learner's experience of learning. How do you, your role as L&D is to facilitate that experience and allow people to learn how they want to learn, where they want to learn, when they want to learn. And, you know, to a degree, create more trust within, within the learning relationship. So it becomes less parental and less didactic as an approach. It becomes much more focused and, and empowered for the learner.
0: So, Jez, I wanted to have a jargon uh, alarm buzzer <laughs> here. No, sorry. it's fine. Just, for the, just because you mentioned, and for the benefit of people that might not be so familiar, in, in 25 words or less, could you quickly explain ecosystem
2: to our listeners? So when we're talking about digital ecosystem, we're starting to think about different approach, how you use different technologies, but even so, it's, it's more than that now. I think, for me, it's about the relationship that we have with the learning process itself. I'm sorry, this is more than 25 words, Andy. Yeah, no, um, that's fine. But it's it's that thing about actually what's important is is the experience that a learner has and how you support and encourage that experience and how do you, that experience then is allows people to access the content that they need to do their jobs. And then how do we learn from what they're what they're accessing? So what data does that produce, which then enables us to help them make better choices. So in some ways it's about shifting away from Learning and development, doing formal traditional learning needs analysis on a twelve month cycle, which locks them into a set of resources and a set of content to something which is much much more open around you know, this is a broad range of content, just what James is saying, that people can access at point of need when they need it, but supporting them, but understanding that actually there's a pathway. Through
0: this as well, I think I think that explains it. I can't visualise an ecosystem. I was I was expecting perhaps something a bit more um, physical, but actually you're moving away from that to something more theoretical now. Then rather than an interlocking array of systems that create a system, an ecosystem, it's it's actually perhaps something a bit more ethereal.
2: I think I think I think it is theoretical because I think the ecosystem is delivered by technology. And at the end of the day, when we talk about workplace learning. We really should stop talking about technology being something that is 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 just about um, providing technology, but actually, it it's, uh, providing learning process. It's actually how people access content now. It's 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 that's that's the the fundamental aspect of an ecosystem. Is how do you support and, and facilitate and enable people to get the content that they need to do their jobs or to progress their careers or whatever their motivation.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, we've. In a way, we have perhaps kind of articulated the biggest barrier of all, which uh, is that we've been talking about learning, 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 over and over. And uh, you know, it, it maybe you know, to quite frankly, for today's workforce, it's got nothing to do with learning at all. I mean, people don't want to learn. Like, like, it's not. You know, it's about um, usefulness. Um, really, it's about sort of you know, when you want to know something, get it. whatever that means, you get it, mm-hmm. and it helps you. So it's we we need to move to a much more sort of resource based model it's and just
0: in time point just of in time need, point of yeah. need.
1: all those things actually do really fit for purpose mm. they all do resonate they're not clapped out expressions uh, learning as far as i'm concerned you know is was, was is foe in the first place i mean okay. training if anything um for learning <laughs> don't fall into the trap that
2: of applying the word learning to the system and the structure of learning Learning happens all the time and all around us. And we're doing it all, you know, I've learned something today. Don't know what it is, but I've learned something. Probably learned how to use technology better. Um, But it's like that sense that we're always learning. You don't have to have it structured and presented to you all wrapped up in a nice package with a folder and a program.
1: I don't do disagree with that at all I don't disagree, I mean totally we learn all the time and everyone's very happy with that I think everybody knows they learn all the time it's semantics again it's it's talking about learning and calling it learning I think you know um, that's the, the problem I, I
0: need to know how to do this task rather than I need to learn this, yes. this entire process yes. and that leads me on to another point if I may um, Jess, and, and Matt bring you in here a bit we're talking about the provision of appropriate just in time learning at the point of need or whatever it might be the, the, the transference of, of knowledge for, for a particular task one of the biggest challenges that people in the survey have come back with is that they just don't have the time to, uh, to put to learning that the, the, they have difficulty in securing time off the job because of the pressures of the the workplace. Matt, with a sort of a, a, a learning design hat on, are there ways that we've helped as an industry people um, uh, make the best use of their time so that it's it's less pressure off the job to find space for their for their learning in e-commerce?
3: I think one way we've done it is reappraise the actual format that we that we deliver content in. Um, certainly, if everything is buried somewhere on a learning management system. Uh, sometimes you really do need to know what you're looking for uh, in order to find it. So uh, it can take a while just to get to the, the, the content that you need. So um, I think certainly this is something that the the next generation of platforms is looking to, to solve through uh, increased personalization. And um, you really, I, I don't think, can uh, underestimate how much creating networks of people who are constantly leveraging those assets to, to help each other, um, the effect that that can have uh, in order to help people. Uh, I think it's quite easy to see learners as being quite siloed. So they are sat at a desktop computer and looking for a piece of learning. But actually, it's much more dynamic than that. So maybe they need something on the move, so we need it on the phone. Maybe we just need to be injecting our content into the, um, uh, you know, the traditional turn around and ask the person next to you kind of mentality so obviously that can be quite difficult for companies
0: proper social learning yeah so so
3: what can be quite difficult for companies is that there's um processes and there's habits that are going on because people are just training each other because that's what people do within organisations, rather than looking at the central source. Because that's a lot easier. It's it's a lot more dynamic and and it's a lot uh, a lot more instant than having to go and search that information out. So if there's ways that the content can become part of of that structure that already exists, um, I, I think we start to 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 meet some of those challenges. Thank you,
0: Matt. A- another sort of. Um negative kind of connotation that we hear or at least a, 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 a barrier that we hear mentioned and not just from people who want to learn but actually throughout our industry is lack of budget lack of funds there's not enough investment in training provision or learning and that and and, and, and I, I don't just mean technically but i mean from content perhaps culturally do you think this is true do you think learning is taken seriously at the uh, the, the bottom line and is that even a relevant question
2: it's hard to say. I think because you know, I suppose it depends on each each individual's experience is based on their own organization that they work for. And some people invest and traditionally have invested heavily in learning and development. Other organizations less so. So I think it's difficult to 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 put a, um, a, a an overall view on it. However, you know, I probably will try. And my sense is is that um, it's about how you spend the money. It, it, you know. Traditionally it started off where it was training courses and we all know that face-to-face training courses are really expensive. It moved to e-learning and then it moved to like writing pieces of e-learning which is equally expensive, it just has greater reach. The reality of it is, is yeah, and our sustainability and it still has a place, as does face-to-face training. I think the reality of it is it's about, again, going back to and I asked the question of learning development, is how are you choosing to use, use the budgets that you have is it to write content that you own or is it to facilitate a learning process? And if it's, if it's the, the, that's the former and it's about writing and owning content, you'll, there'll never be enough money because people will want variances on something. They will, it will never be right for everybody. And you will always be looking to develop new ideas, new thinking, new programmes, new courses. There'll never be enough money to do it. If it's the latter where we're starting to think about how do you facilitate the learning process – how do you support individuals in accessing what they need when they need it? So maybe moving to a curation model, maybe starting to think about how do you look at content and knowledge and information differently within your organisation? Maybe you can afford to do that. And that's, that's, you know, and I think that's a question for us as learning technologies, um, but it's equally a question for, for, for those working as practitioners
1: in learning and development. That's a very, very good point you make there, Jazz. It's kind of a move from, to a sort of ser, uh, with a service model on, on both sides. So the server, you know, L&D as a service, as a facilitation service, uh, and maybe in terms of suppliers like ourselves, providing a service as curator-creators um, as well. It, you know, it's, and a shift away from putting all that time and effort and energy into creating quite monolithic chunks of content.
0: Do you think there's also a risk that organisations, by looking to compl- you know, to, to, to get the next best thing and to find the newest piece of content that they can put into this pool of assets and, and this curation of material, they're missing, you know, tomes and mountains of stuff that they already have, mm. that over the years most organisations will have created stuff that's still usable and viable and well, relevant?
1: Well, yeah, no, no, and yeah, that's totally bound to be true. Um, and that's where curate the curate, curator comes in, because that's the first task of, uh, you know, on the curation of the curation process is to, you know, uh, it's not the first task, but it's one of the first tasks is to it's look and got. try to find out what you've got, mm. yeah, and then the other sort of first task is to work out what you need,
0: and that's and a, a huge barrier <laughs> yeah. removed straight away, isn't it? Actually, we've got stuff here, um, we don't need to mm. find a budget for X, we just need to now find a way of making it accessible,
2: and I think. It, I think it's really interesting because I think if you think about curation in its, you know, classic terminology around you go to a gallery, to, to to an art exhibition and you talk to a curator. When they put together that, they haven't just gone and looked at the artist's file and said, OK, we've got all these paintings, we'll just shove them all up on a wall. They found some logic, they have found a story, they found a, a purpose and a reason for that for um, the, the the pictures they selected to be seen and put in a certain order or a certain perspective, a certain view, and in some ways that's the same the same thing that learning and development have, have we've got to do now. We've got to provide mm. people with the ability to create these these logical pathways through all this content.
0: Oh, I like that they find a story, and that's so true, actually, isn't it? It's a tableau of things that that that, that has some resonance and some relevance. And yeah, if we can do that, then.
1: I think another thing is to recognise uh, also within that that you, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, as long <clears> as, it, you know, as... Again, it's to always bear in mind the goal and sort of, will it be useful? Don't, not will it be perfect, will it be entirely correct mm. even? Uh, you know, people are, are perfectly used to working with imperfection. You know, they're perfectly used to sort of sifting the... the,
0: the They'll create their own... They will. People, it,
1: yeah. and also by the same token... Uh, they will personalise uh, themselves. We're all incredibly skilled um, at personalising our, our learning paths now as um, digital consumers. Mm.
3: I, I think that also um, opens up opportunities for people to actually crowdsource uh, more of the content internally because there are a lot of um, experts out there in businesses who are doing the job every day and, and never really get consulted when it comes to making making the training. So... Um, a lot of those people are very happy to share and uh and and to create that content so if you're not looking for that kind of professional kind of agency gloss on the content who knows what you can leverage
0: Mm. so that's a really good point actually and and therefore you don't need you know high end as you just said technical specifications to, to do that so it ceases to be technical barriers that we're talking about perhaps cultural ones um like the magic bullet theory it's, it's it's easy question, difficult answer how can we um, encourage cultural change to allow organisations to allow their own employees to share content and knowledge and insight and do you think generally organisations trust their people to do that and obviously this is a huge blanket um, sweeping generalisation about um, many different kinds of organisations but do you think those are real challenges that sometimes people aren't Trusted to do that,
2: to share their own experience and their learning. I think if, if there's there's two there's two questions there, Andy. One is about trust and do you trust your employees to learn what they need to learn to do the job without you telling them to do that? Well, maybe not. The reality of it is, is, is that L and D's responsibility to do that, or actually is that the organization's responsibility to manage their people accordingly? You know, my my perspective on it is, is that if, if it's about performance, then actually who's the best person to judge if an individual's performing? It's the manager, it's the person that's there to do that job. Now, their role should be then if someone's not performing, is it helping them identify where they're not? And training is part of that solution. The other aspect of it is about culture and about the this, this shifting nature of organisational learning cultures. And how do you support organisations to become more adaptive and allowing people to to you know to be part of communities and creating those useful communities and allow them to be transient and allow them to to ebb and flow with need without necessarily feeling that you've got to own it and you've got to manage it and there's got to be a process which is a bigger issue because that's about releasing control so although control and trust are, are, are completely linked one is the organisation's responsibility towards their, their individuals as management, but the other is also then is about the learning cultures that you provide and, and allowing people to learn what they need when they need it.
0: And how do we encourage that kind of a culture, Jess?
2: I think, you know, technology has a big part to play in that. And I think what, what I'm finding now talking to clients, they're increasingly looking at what technologies they currently have and how to use them better. And part of that is understanding that they've got all this content, they've got all this material, they've got ways of managing that, they've got data output, they just don't know how to pull it all together to make sense of the picture that they've got. And so part of it's about making sense of the picture. And I think it goes back to my earlier point about how do you create um, positive learner experiences and, and almost like learning cultures which are based on positive learner experience versus based on good content. Because the reality of it is, in the past, it's always been about good content. Now, it should be focused on how do my people learn, and how can I support them in their learning processes better to enable and empower them to make those choices.
1: Well, it has to come uh, bo- uh, from the bottom uh, to be, you know, and it also has to come from the top. So it's a classic sandwich, isn't yeah. it? And um, uh, it's got to come from the very top. And weirdly, to like, let people go down the very bottom so that they can. Mm. you know it's a funny but well, that's what culture,
0: ch- culture change is about
1: really, yeah so it's a classic challenge and in, in, in there's nothing new in that respect uh, maybe the, the lure is, a, is it's that great opportunity to make more of what you've already got mm. uh, for very very senior management if you put that to, to them they go, you could make more of what you got you could save X squillion pounds a year are you suggesting
0: um, that very senior <laughs> management are barriers to learning <laughs>
3: just to interject, may, may, maybe one issue could be that um, development in some cases might be a bit too linked to performance management and that could cause a barrier in itself
1: Oh, uh, interesting and Some of my best friends are, are very senior managers <laughs> and uh, far, far from being uh, uh, threats, I see them as uh, opportunities <laughs> Great, uh,
0: back to Matt's point, yes I think that's a really good point it, um, Do you mean Matt, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong are you talking more about sort of, yeah, a measurement and the The feeling that hold on a minute, this is linked to um, performance. This is linked to how well I'm doing, and therefore there's a reticence that comes with actually uh, taking stuff on or not taking enough stuff on.
3: Yeah, well, it could be that uh, when people have the reviews at the end of the year, the same one where they're getting the performance ranked, there's the box in the same form that's about the development that you've done this year. So it's all tied together. So maybe if you decoupled those two, then. That it opens up the world of, of development and training and the definition of that within the organization uh, much more.
2: I, I, this part of me disagrees, Matt, to a degree, because I think that the sum of this is about if it's, I think it's about coupling it, but going to James's point about semantics, and is if you start to create development and you put it into a PDR form, whatever it is, and you say at the end of your year, what developments have you done? What courses have you done to prove this? Well, to be honest, that's irrelevant, what courses you've done. It's what learning have you made? What learning have you had as a result of doing whatever courses, whatever experiences you've had? And how do you as a manager understand that in terms of the individual's performance? So it, Surely it's all tracked, isn't it? Well, does it, you know, again, does it need to be tracked? Why do we track it? The reality of it is, can the person do the job or not? And has the learning that we've provided them with and the support that we've given enabled them to do it better than they did last year? That's
1: what's important, surely. I mean, the answer is staring us in, in, in the face, and that is just to sort of you know, let, let go. Oh, just stop sort of feeling that everything has to be controlled, everything does have, that everything has to be tracked, you know, and, uh, and everything has to be chunked up into quite large sort of things. Just make all the, the, the knowledge and the information that we have available people
0: you mentioned there how much they are, uh, providing access to learning that they've got in, in internally on these mobile devices what about externally what about allowing your people to just go out and search public domains to find um, industry industry-wide knowledge rather than well both organization yeah, organization. I
1: think that both and you just said it so allow your people to um, mm. to do this why on earth are we even in this situation of allowing you know I mean um, let alone allowing, maybe encouraging, might, might be quite a good start, and just sort of, um, you know, <laughs> just uh, every so many people have come to work with smartphones. Um, Not and everyone, and, everyone yeah, well, pretty much everyone. Mm. Yeah, I was just trying to be um, yeah, measured, that, that but yeah, everyone um, does. It's again in the research that we've done. One of the interesting findings that I thought was that there's a genuine appetite. Uh, apparently for people to kind of work outside you know do learn stuff um outside work hours you know mm. when they're traveling or even when they get home dare I say it. controversially um,
0: off the payroll
1: yeah very strange that but mm. it, it, and really good i mean really you know and not surprising you if you have a pos- see that's a positive attitude towards people rather than a kind of classically negative and it's paid back, attitude. Isn't it? and and yeah and it but but where's the stuff for them to consume? You know, mm. that um, all we've got to do is make it available, make it available easy to get to on all devices. And then, to be honest, the, certainly the research, just people will consume it. They will make mm. use of it. You know, see, it's, it's, it's a huge opportunity here. What I
2: was going to say, James, is I think that it's interesting when we talk about measurements and we talk about what's important for people to measure. And so traditionally, it's been the... It's, it's almost been like, how many people have we put through a training programme? Can we prove that everybody's done it? And it's tracking what people have done and when they've done it, which is useful to a degree for somebody, I'm sure. The reality of it is, is what is the impact that that's having? And I know that we're spending quite a lot of time exploring what we mean by impact and what actually, how learning supports impact at a personal or organisational level, which is a big question. And I think it's a big question for learning and development to ask themselves. Are they, it's fine to be to recording data about progress and tracking that information, but what value does it have mm. in terms of that impact? Um, and it, if you can't answer that question, if you can't say that the information that I'm tracking helps me understand the impact that my, my, my input as a training provider is having on, on our organisation, then, then reality of it is, is you know, you're measuring the wrong stuff. It's
0: useful, useless data, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So 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 it starts to you know, in, in some ways it's again, why why do we why do we operate in the way that we've operated? And is it just because it's we, it's what we've always done around here, so therefore we're not gonna change it. You know, people's attitudes to knowledge is shifting, people's attitudes to how they acquire knowledge and access information, as James is saying, you know, go on any true tube in London or any train in London. Look around the carriage. How many people are on smartphones on the way into work? And I would say it's probably anything between 50 and 80 percent of people are engaging with the world outside their immediate environment. Um, how, as employers, do we tap into that and make that relevant? That, for me, is how you start to think about breaking down um, the, the barriers to workplace learning. It's actually, it's not about the workplace. It's about what you what you need to learn to be more effective in the workplace.
0: Excellent. Excellent points, everybody. Well said. Thank you very much. That's a really good point to end on, Jez. I think we've, we've come from um, breaking down the barriers using technology to uh, and, and thinking of technological barriers to cultural barriers, and then actually how technology can help drive that cultural change, um, not just inside, but but perhaps more importantly outside the workplace. Well, look, thank you. If you'd like to carry on the conversation, please do. You can reach out to us on Twitter, we're at Kineo or via our website which is uh, kineo.com um, Check us out on LinkedIn, my name is Andy Costello we've got James Corey Wright, Matt Meller, and Jez Anderson uh, with us today uh, on LinkedIn you'll also see us um, banging on about our Learning Insights Report, part one of three which is out and it's a, it's a must read for anybody who consumes, buys or supplies learning technology Thank you very much indeed everybody and we'll see you again next month <music>